Welcome to Deep Roots, Island Waves, stories about life's lessons from Indigenous voices. A collaboration of Clahoose First Nation and Cortez Community Radio. What was the role of the canoe in pre-contact Indigenous culture? What caused its decline? And how are canoe journeys finding their way back to Clahoose and her sister nations? In this story, producer Roy Hales outlines the awakening of the canoes. For the better part of a century, canoe traffic came to a halt along the west coast. Prior to 1884, the Clahoose Nation paddled throughout the coast of British Columbia. Their canoes visited the Hudson's Bay Company trading post at Fort Langley in the Lower Mainland. Canoes were utilized to maintain kinship connections with bands in Alert Bay and Nanaimo on Vancouver Island, as well as along the Sunshine Coast on the mainland. The canoe culture was so entrenched that even after the Indian Act was passed, a visiting Indian commissioner found 45 canoes serving the 71 Clahoose on their reservation at Squirrel Cove on Cortez Island. Jody Simpkins, Director, Cultural Affairs and Heritage, Clahoose First Nation, explains, The significance of the canoe was undeniable. Almost every person or every second person had access to a canoe. And we know so little about canoe culture when we consider in the totality of First Nations relations how important it was. It carried us to food, it carried our relations from community to community, it made economics possible, and yet we don't really know as much about it as we should. The governments of Canada and the United States stopped First Nations canoes from plying the coast. Michelle Robinson, Social Development Manager and Counselor, Clahoose First Nation, explains that in 1884... The Canadian government decided that they were going to keep us restricted to reserves, and we had to ask permission to leave. If I wanted to go visit my grandmother, I had to wait for the Indian agent to come, and I say, I want to travel to Ladysmith to visit my grandma. I had to get a pass to leave the community. So we weren't even allowed to get on our canoe and go places. So there is restriction not just on our potlatches. Everything ceremonial, anything that kept us together as a community, including the canoe to get us from here to there and share our ceremonies and all these things, we had to get permission. That legislation ran from 1884 till 1951 and it was a cultural ban so the ban was on the potlatch. They did revise the legislation several times throughout that period, most significantly sort of in the early 1900s when they realized that the intent of the legislation which was to eradicate the First Nations population, if not physically then acculturate it and assimilate them into mainstream populations. When that wasn't working, uh, it took on a, a more sort of a significant consequence through Duncan C. Scott, who was the superintendent of Indian Affairs, who really said um, that Indian policy would be successful when there wasn't an Indian left. So this uh, Tribal Journeys is really a way, I think, of connecting those communities and threads back together. 
1989, which was the centennial in Washington State, uh, there was a call by uh, Emmett Oliver, who is from the Quinault Canoe family, the Oliver Canoe family, and he called for some funding to help carve some dugout canoes so that there would be an Indigenous presence at the paddle to what was then called the paddle to Seattle uh, for the centennial. And they carved several canoes, and he put a call out to the coastal corridor for, for nations from Alaska to California to revive their canoe culture and take part in this historic journey uh, which hadn't happened in the better part of a century due to a whole bunch of uh, mostly connected to uh, restrictive legislation against First Nations peoples through government and so although the canoe had a tremendous importance and presence along the coastal corridor years of restricted legislation really minimized not just its importance, but its uh, its presence in communities. And so this was really the first time this century that there was a journey of that sort that was really structured and designed to bring communities together. And one of the canoes that traveled there was from Bella Bella, the Heltzig Nation. They sent a canoe to Seattle for, uh, for the paddle to Seattle. When they were there, they called for all the canoes to join them again in their territory two years later. And that was really the start of tribal journeys as we know it now. The first real ocean-going canoe in Clahoose in the last probably 50 years is the one that was was purchased last year to participate in uh, Standing Together, the journey for 2017. You're listening to Deep Roots Island Waves, stories about life's lessons from Indigenous voices. This episode brought to you in part by Literacy Now, Cortez Community Forest Co-op, Study Build, and private donors. The tribal journey for 2018 is power to Puyallup, Washington, where there's a gathering from July 28th to August 4th. This is the Clahoose Nation's second tribal journey. In preparation, they will awaken the canoes at Squirrel Cove on Cortez Island. The reawakening started in 1989 for what has become an annual event for First Nations from Alaska to California. I think there's uh, there's some really amazing things that happen that are so inspirational to, to participants. Um, when the canoes land here next Friday for Awaken the Canoes, they'll be met, there'll be a, a brushing and a, a real awakening of the canoes, a blessing of the canoes and an opportunity for uh, people who are joining in this year's pull in whatever capacity uh, that they will be able to shed the negative feelings, any bad feelings that they have that they might have carried over so that we start fresh and clean and everybody has a a very healthy spirit as they get on the canoe and that's a really important aspect of this. The the sense that there is possibility for the youth and really an, an opportunity for elders to be present and involved as well. There's just not a lot of, there's not a lot of things that you get to do where that's part of, of, of an event. So. So as the canoes travel, they depart from one community and they will stop and visit, enacting ancient protocols and connecting communities back to one another in ways that hadn't been done in many, many years. And so uh, there is not just this opportunity for First Nations to be part of this incredibly moving and cultural experience, it's also a terrific opportunity for the larger population to take part in it. In the case of the Campbell River event, there was almost 10,000 people on the shores when the 103 canoes came to land that day. On the American side, the canoe culture is very defined. It's very mature already because they've been doing it for so long. And one of the things that is really um, 
really pronounced is that they engage in safety demonstrations all year long. So they get out, they do deep water training, the, the US Coast Guard has been really supportive of that. And we really haven't taken advantage of the fact that we are in a community where there's water, where we can do that. And so the idea for Awaken the Canoes was really that we wanted to start to build uh, the safety culture into everything we do. And this was an opportunity to start the season, so to bless the canoes, waken them up from the winter, and to engage with our, our neighboring nations as well as the Canadian Coast Guard, who will come and provide that important safety demonstration. This actually, um, for me, came because during the 2017 journey to Campbell River, there was someone uh, from Washington State who called me. I was the director of Tribal Journeys 2017. And he called in every day and he would say, you know, there are 22 canoes and everybody's safe and we're good to go. And his call came every night around 9 o'clock. One day, uh, when the canoes were heading into Nanus, he called at like 4 in the afternoon. And he said, hey, I don't want to alarm you, but a canoe went down in Nanus. Everybody's good, everybody's calm, everything's fine. And because he was so calm in relaying that information, I, I was busy getting ready for 10,000 people to come for dinner. And so I really didn't pay much attention because he had assured me everything was fine. And it wasn't until about five or six months ago when we really started talking about hosting Awakening the Canoes that I had the chance to see a video, a YouTube video, of the canoe in Nanus going down. It was a canoe that belonged to the Nisqually Nation, one of the American, American nations. and instead of panic or slight chaos, it was complete calm. Their canoe went down, all that was sticking up was one end, as there were a couple of fellows still trying to bail it out. But because they had had such strong uh, safety and, and uh, technique involved in what to do when a canoe goes down, it was really just a non-issue for them. And I want to make sure that when our canoe is out on the water, that we are not putting ourselves in harm's way, but we're also not putting anybody else's canoe in harm's way if they have to come to our rescue. And the easiest way to do that is to invite all of our neighboring nations who want to participate to get out on the water with the Coast Guard, learn the proper techniques. It's a long journey on the water. Most people don't ever have the opportunity to do that kind of journey. So we just want to make sure that we've equipped everybody with the right information. What about Paddle du Puyallup? Our canoe will leave on uh, July 13th, will be hosted by the Nanaimo First Nation, and uh, we will depart with the Nanaimo Nation in support of their 2019 hosting of Tribal Journeys. So most of the coastal nations along Vancouver Island will be joining Nanaimo and departing together in support of, of their host the following year. Not everyone will host the canoes coming in because it is a big deal. So then you have, after Nanaimo, Snanaimo First Nation will be Shemanis, which is Ladysmith First Nation. So they'll paddle from Nanaimo to Ladysmith, and then the next host down will be Cowichan. So anyways, you go along the coast, and we'll leave that area, and your group will paddle down. All the canoes get up in the morning, and they leave. So then they'll go to the next destination that's hosting. And then you ask that permission to go ashore, and then then celebrations begin. So you start sharing your songs, your dances. Each nation has a time to be on the floor. And so you show what you have, and you show who you are. That means you're very careful in how you treat people. You're very careful in how you present yourself as from your community. That's why you always have to behave, <laughs> right? And your elders are watching. Your ancestors are watching with that in mind. And ev everything you do is meaningful, and you have to be careful. 
the big landings are in the are, are in the host nation. So by the time the canoes land in Puyallup, it will be six hours, seven hours on the water as each canoe takes that opportunity to really with lots of glory and pride and excitement be called ashore and the host nations will never deprive anybody from taking that moment um, to really do it the way that they want so and and people are wearing regalia by that point and it's it's a very theatrical performance as people make their way to the shore and really respecting the journey that they've been on in the case of many of the canoes that's three or four weeks to get to where they need to be. Thanks to producer Roy Hales for this edition of Deep Roots Island Waves. Senior producers are Morgan Tams and Greg Asoba. Series coordinator is Odette Auger. Clahous coordinator is Jacqueline Metzieu. Cortez Community Radio is grateful to the Community Radio Fund of Canada, the Cortez Island Museum and Archive Society, Canada 150, and the Clahous First Nation for their support. Find more at cortezradio.ca.